Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Well, good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing. We are glad in it. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am hoping that I don't sound quite as um, tired or nasally to you as I sound in my own head. Paul, do I sound okay today? Uh, Mostly. Mostly. I can tell there's a little something. Yeah, I think I have this like seasonal weariness. I don't know if anyone else suffers like seasonal weariness, but like there's so many expectations this time of year and you want to, you know... You want to be the person that sends the right thing to the school party and you don't forget the teacher gift and you don't forget to, I don't know, say Merry Christmas every time the Amazon people drop something off at your house or just on and on and on. And um, and there's parties and there's, you know, end of the year things and um, <clears throat> 24 people to buy Christmas gifts for like, right? And I, none of mine are wrapped. And and all of a sudden everyone is like, oh, it's already Christmas. And I'm thinking, I still have a week. Please do not tell me it's anything is last. Everybody that uses the term last minute right now, I'm like, it's not the last minute. I still have a week. So there you go. Uh, maybe pray for me. <clears throat> so we are in, it's December the 18th. So it's the 18th day of Advent this year. And we are in Luke chapter 18. This may be one of my favorite chapters of the gospel according to Luke. I hope you are in the word of God today. If you're not already in the word of God, let me invite you to be in the 18th chapter of the gospel according to Luke. This is where we get the parable of the persistent widow. Um, Never, 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 never stop knocking on the door. Never. Never stop knocking on the door. Um, And we also get the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector um, this is the conversation about, um, you know, about sort of doing your righteousness before other people as opposed to, you know, getting in your prayer closet and humbly putting your face before the Lord and acknowledging that, you know, the only righteousness that any of us is ever going to enjoy is that is that which is going to be imputed to us because of Jesus Christ. And so let me encourage you on that front as well. We also, picking up at verse 15 have this scene where Luke says people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. So I want you to think about that um, that visual of Jesus uh, receiving these babies, these infants, and placing his hands on them as an act of blessing. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked the people, and Jesus called the children unto himself and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Hey, let's be sure that this Christmas we're not just um, making sure we got a cute picture of our kids on the lap of Santa. Let's be sure we're also taking our children before the Lord and asking uh, him to bless them. We're actually making um, a presentation of our children, no matter how old they are, uh, making a presentation of our children before the Lord. Jesus then teaches on the rich and the kingdom of God, uh, predicts his own death a third time. We would call this the third passion prediction, uh, where Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that was written by the prophets about the Son of Man will now be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, 
flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. That's a very concise summary of what's going to happen uh, during the final hours of the life of Jesus. And he is here telling his disciples um, in advance. Uh, And then we arrive at maybe one of my most favorite scenes um, in all of in all of Scripture. And it's Jesus as he approaches Jericho, and there's a blind man sitting on the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and someone said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And this man calls out, Jesus, son of David. Now, obviously, he knows who Jesus is. He knows um, he is referring to him as the son of David. Have mercy on me. And those who led the way were rebuking him and told him to be quiet. Sounds like the way they rebuked the little children or rebuked the, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, lepers as they tried to approach Jesus. Um, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh, Jesus stops. He orders the man to be brought to him. And he came near to Jesus. And Jesus very mercifully asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus makes no assumptions about what this person in need really needs. He's a blind beggar. But Jesus gives him the very dignity of not only a personal one-on-one conversation, but he dignifies him by asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says, Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God as well. All right, on this uh, day when the whole nation is going to be Focused on the impeachment of the President of the United States, let us be focused on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us um, call out to him. Don't let him pass by where you are without crying out in whatever state of need you're in and tell him what you want him to do for you. Cry out to the Lord today. Hey, next up, uh, Drew Griffin will be here from Providence Magazine. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I am joined in conversation this morning by Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine. You can check out what Drew is working on at ProvidenceMag.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at DG underscore NYC. Drew, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Carmen. Uh, Merry Christmas. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Um, so I want to uh, start. We have not yet talked about this on the program um, the president has issued an executive order related to anti-Semitism. And then Boris Johnson uh, over in the U.K. has done something similar. Talk with us about um, about both of these stories. Sure. Uh, well, uh, President Trump uh, recently uh, signed an executive order which um, kind of adjusted or, or put a different emph- emphasis, if you will, on the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, specifically Title VI, which controls uh, federal funding. And uh, according to the Civil Rights Act said that, you know, the federal funding cannot go to anyone who discriminates on the basis of uh, ethnicity or race or gender. And uh, however, religion is not part of that list. And uh, so what the executive order does is that it uh, categorizes uh, Jews and uh, the Jewish people as an ethnicity and uh, basically says that the federal government will uh, kind of do what they can to uh, discourage uh, discrimination on um, any of the organizations that receive federal funding uh, that is ever 
detected specifically against the Jewish people. Um, this is kind of, I think, a, um, a, a pushback against a rise in anti-Semitism in the United States uh, recently and really uh, across the world. Uh, it's, it's an odd um, occurrence. It's uh, almost an unprecedented rise and an increase in acts of anti-Semitism. Uh, anti-Semitism, just so we're kind of on the same page, and I always think it's important uh, when we discuss this topic is to try and define what we're talking about, is uh, really any unjust uh, deed or activity that's aimed at the Jewish people, um, targeting them because of their Judaism, because of their uh, ethnicity or, or religion. And we've seen a rise in these acts and these deeds uh, Across the country, I'm in LA right now in uh, California, Los Angeles, and uh, just four days ago, a uh, synagogue was raided uh, in Beverly Hills after the Sabbath, and uh, tours were burnt and things were scattered about, and uh, vandalism. Uh, occurred there. And acts like this occur in, in Jewish cemeteries in places like Nebraska and places in, in middle America, um, uh, recently in, in New Jersey and across the river from where I live. There was a, a shooting at a, a kosher deli um, and where a number of people were killed uh, specifically because of, of their Judaism. Um, and so the all in response to all of these acts and the increase, increase in these uh, violent uh, acts against the Jewish community, the Trump administration has, um, I I think kind of gone out of its way to say that you know these kind of acts will not be tolerated and the federal government will do what it can to discourage uh, organizations from uh, ever um, I guess um, um, acting in a discriminatory way against uh, the Jewish people across the pond uh, the British people just had an election in which uh, they elected the Tory party the conservative party by a vast majority um, it's led by uh, Boris Johnson Johnson, as he is assuming office, is also responding to a number of anti-Semitic attacks uh, uh, throughout his country. And uh, part of his way of pushing back against that is to uh, put forward a bill and an initi initiative to reject uh, what is called BDS, which stands for Boycott, Divestment and Sanction. Uh, it's an effort on the part of uh, a number of uh, groups to uh, target Israel uh, specifically and uh, attempt to get uh, foreign governments and uh, corporations to boycott Israel, to divest financially from it, and to sanction Israel by putting financial sanctions uh, on it, targeting um, the Israeli nation, uh, ostensibly because they believe that uh, the Palestinians are, are being oppressed by uh, the Israelis. Um, it is a uh, a very an anti-Semitic, I think, um, action. It's an anti-Semitic movement. So Boris Johnson has has moved to help quash that in the uh, United Kingdom. Uh, so this this. I I think is uh, an encouraging act for people who support the Jewish community. It should be an encouraging act for the Jewish community, uh, both in Great Britain and in the United States. Um, and I think as Christians, this is really important for us, that we need to um, understand that we have a common heritage uh, with the Jewish community, that um, we have a uh, – there's a, a commonality there and um, uh, and elements of, of, of what we believe. And even beyond that, I mean, Christians are called to stand against hate and to not hate anybody and to uh, love our neighbors as well as our uh, enemies. And so it is, I think it's important for Christians to, um, to take a stand uh, against anti-Semitism. So when we talk about sort of proving you're Jewish, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think that at the, at, at the 
at the most basic level, what, one thing that people are probably wondering is, what does it mean to be Jewish? And when we talk about um, birthright, when we talk about sort of proving your Ju- your Judaism through your maternal lineage, um, those are uh, bloodline questions. But people do convert to Judaism, and then they establish their um, their sort of Jewish bona fides through uh, participation, active participation, not only in the Jewish community, but in a in a synagogue where their um, rabbi would vouch for them over the course of time. So when we when we think of a religion as a nationality, I do think that for a lot of people, this is unusual. This is an unusual mm-hmm. thought process. Not every Muslim that we know is also Arab. Um, um, certainly not. And certainly not every Christian that we know is from a, you know, is from a particular country. And so when we have this conversation about um, Jews also having this genetic nationality, we're not talking about the modern state of Israel so much as we are talking about the reality that God set his heart on a people. Am I, am I, am I accurate in the way that I'm trying to understand this? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the unique nature of this uh, speaks to the just the unique uh, set apartness of the Jewish uh, people that they are uh, a, a people set apart. If if you're a Christian, if you read the Bible, uh, you see that yeah, God chose this nation and and, and you know plucked them out of obscurity, uh, not because they were the biggest or the strongest, but just because of His own. Um, his own providence and his own uh, love picked these people, chose these people. And um, so there is something unique there that that is different. And I think it is that uniqueness and difference that often makes them a target of anti-Semitism. It is a um, – there's this uh, implicit – um, understanding that there's there's something different about the Jewish community, and you know, just like you see on a schoolyard, you know, what is different is often uh, what is kind of rallied against and what is attacked, and uh, unfortunately, that's what we see um, not just in schoolyards, but in uh, communities and uh, economic communities and in cities and in nations, and um, they are they are a unique uh, people, a unique model. They, there's a saying, you know, in in Judaism that if you even if you convert. Uh, it is not that you um, go from one thing to you know Ju- Judaism, but you return to Judaism. That there is there is an inclusiveness that's uh, that's available um, uh, to the broader world, which I think speaks to um, the mission of uh, Israel that was given to them in the Old Testament to be a light unto the nations and uh, to draw the nations into themselves, so that the, the nations might see uh, the God of Israel. And so. Um, there it is it is different it's kind of special pleading it is you know it's it doesn't necessarily relate to christianity or islam or or buddhism or any of the other things that may even have you know some uh geographic or ethnic kind of ties to them uh the jewish community is unique and they are special and um uh, but they i don't believe should uh be penalized uh for um uh, that eccentricness all right, we got to take a quick break. When I come back, uh, Drew Griffin and I are going to continue our conversation, but we're going to pivot to another part of the world. Um, actually, we're going to pivot to Pakistan and from there to China because girls are actually being sold across those um, those <clears throat> lines of geography um, in forced marriage. So we want to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Returning to my conversation with Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine, you can check out what Drew's working on at ProvidenceMag.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at DG underscore NYC. I don't even hardly know, Drew, how to approach this story other than to say um, there are things happening in the world that are very, very dark and worldview matters and um, and a nation's worldview matters. Tell us what uh, what is what is happening um, in terms of Pakistani girls being sold into sex slavery and ultimately forced marriage in China. Yeah, this is definitely a tragic, uh, a tragic story there. Uh, the Associated Press recently uh, found lists of uh, Pakistani girls, so far around 629 of them, uh, who were sold as brides to uh, Chinese men uh, since 2018. Uh, they were sold uh, to the grooms by their families, by the um, uh, Pakistani families. No one is um, – it's it's really kind of hard to kind of grasp or understand uh, how this kind of uh, this kind of thing can occur. But you have families that are in dire economic straits in uh, Pakistan that have uh, daughters. Uh, both countries like Pakistan and India and China are uh, typically more patriarchal countries. They're typically they favor um, men over women. They prefer male children as heirs over uh, female children. Um, China so much so that for decades, uh, China had what was called the one-child policy, which uh, limited um, the number of children that any couple could have to one. Um, And because of the kind of patriarchal nature of the Chinese society, male children were preferred to female children. And so what you had over decades is, you know, if you had one child and she was a a daughter or if you had a uh, already had a son and were pregnant and had a daughter, uh, you had literally uh, forced uh, abortions. You had select sex selective abortions. You had child abandonment where um, literally millions of uh, female uh, babies uh, were disposed of uh, over the course of decades in in China. The the effect of this uh, one China policy is that there's now a massive gender imbalance in China, uh, and and both China and India both have uh, massive gender imbalances. There are 34 million more uh, Chinese men uh, currently in China than there are women. And so you have entire villages in China where men are sitting around um, depressed, uh, obviously, uh, because there there are ten men to every woman, and there's there's no there are no wives, there are no girlfriends, uh, but there's also uh, no fertility and no um, uh, replacement uh, in terms of. Um, Fertility rates. China has one of the lowest fertility rates in the country, just slightly above Iran. Um, and so this this crisis uh, that China created and a crisis of China's own making has now spurred into, all right, these, these 34 million men need wives. There aren't Chinese women. Where are we going to get these women? And so they are now going to uh, sex trafficking markets. They are going to the black market. And they are making deals with um, uh, desperate, uh, you know, Pakistani families that have uh, uh, girls, and they're selling these girls basically into sex slavery as brides uh, to these Chinese men. Uh, the 31 Chinese nationals uh, have been charged in Pakistan uh, with this. Um, 
the government is trying to uh, crack down uh, against uh, this tragedy. Uh, but it really shows, I think, that um, when we talk about uh, the morality of nations and we talk about uh, you know, how morality affects um, not only national policy but foreign policy, um, it's important to know that you, know, you may say, well, one country is a bad actor, but you know, whatever they do within their own borders, you know, we can't have any control over that. That's, that's their own business. Uh, the problem with that is, and I've always kind of maintained, is that typically what happens in, in the borders of one country doesn't stay in one country. It spreads and the effects of it spread. Uh, that's the nature of sin. Uh, that's the nature of um, uh, crimes and the kind of criminality and immorality is that it, it never stays kind of localized in one place. It spreads and the victims of it uh, increase. And so here we see, you know, uh, immorality in, on the part of the Chinese government in which, you know, millions of, of babies have been slaughtered uh, in favor of uh, male children uh, now is having an effect in that that is spreading into, uh, you know, sex slavery and the selling of, of brides into um, into China in order to provide brides. So this is a, it's, it's a tragic story. It's something I think Christians should be um, uh, prayerful about and um, in prayer over. And uh, something that we're going to have to monitor because this is not going to go away. This demographic crisis that China is facing is going to um, only get worse over time. And so um, it's definitely something that we're going to have to be on the lookout for. So I think for folks who um, want some equipping in this area to know a little bit more, there was actually a movie in 2012. If you go to the website, it's a girl movie.com, you can actually watch it. It's a girl movie.com. Um, and then if you're not familiar with Reggie Littlejohn and the Women's Rights Without Frontiers, um, let me encourage you to check out that website as well, womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org. Uh, Reggie Littlejohn has been on the forefront of this conversation for uh, for decades now <clears throat> and uh, is definitely worth checking out. All right. Hey, Drew, in the couple of minutes we have left, we would love for you to preview for us your upcoming trip to the Middle East. Yes. Next week, uh, just two days after Christmas, I head to uh, Israel. And I am uh, a privileged to be leading a, a, a team with an organization called Passages, um, Passages Israel. And, we uh, love it is them. A, We've had some yeah. kids who went on the Passages trip come and talk on the show. So go ahead. Yeah, Tell that's people great. Yeah, so um, Passages is a, uh, an organization that uh, seeks to expose um, uh, students, college students in the United States to um, uh, kind of uh, Christian and, and, and Jewish connection uh, there in Israel. And so I'm taking 31 uh, actually journalism students uh, from colleges all across the country to uh, spend a week in Israel meeting with uh, newsmakers, meeting with um, newsmen and women. And uh, we're, of course, uh, touring uh, the country, getting a, a sense of the, the political issues there and the intricate um, issues that we're dealing with, like, you know, uh, BDS and like the um, – uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank and uh, some of the political realities there, as well as, um, you know, exposing them to kind of the source of, of their Christian heritage, uh, the places where Jesus walked and where he uh, performed his miracles. And it's it's always a delight uh, to be in Israel. It's always a, an enjoyment for me. Um, it's a beautiful country full of beautiful people. And uh, so we're definitely looking forward to that trip. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for sharing with us as always. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will uh, see you in 2020. Sounds good. Merry Christmas to you. 
That's Drew Griffin. Uh, He is the editor of Providence Magazine. You can check it out at ProvidenceMag.com. We'll be right back. Okay, so if you heard of the Instagram face, you've certainly seen the Instagram face. Apparently, people are not only uh, using apps to adjust what their pictures look like on Instagram. They're having plastic surgery and doing all kinds of other things to enhance what their face looks like. And they're actually all trying to look exactly the same. It's called the Instagram face. And apparently we live in the age of the Instagram face. I'm going to discuss that next with Peter Kapsner. Do you sometimes find yourself hesitating to tell your teen the truth? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. A father once asked a counselor what to tell his two daughters after their mother abandoned their family. The counselor immediately replied, tell them the truth, protect their mother's reputation as much as possible, but make sure to tell them what happened and do it immediately. Your children will appreciate and remember your honesty. That counselor gave some good advice. Teens always want to know the truth regardless of how much it hurts. And the quickest way to lose their respect is by hiding the raw truth. So make a habit of telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In the long run, your teen will thank you for it. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. So Peter Kapsler is joining me now, and I'm tempted to simply lead off and ask, when was the last time, Peter, you were face-tuned? Face-tuned? <laughs> well, I can't say I don't need it. Uh, can we start from there? I mean, uh, it's actually so disturbing, is it not, the article that I sent you? Um, right. So my, Peter sent me this article. Yeah. yeah. Peter sent me this article from The New Yorker, uh, the title of which is The Age of of Instagram face, how social media face tune and plastic surgery created a single cyborgian look. Uh, it's published on December the 12th. Let's uh, let's just talk about um, uh, the lead to this particular piece. Uh, the, the argument that uh, the author is making is that everyone on Instagram is really, well, everyone is really seeking to have this Instagram face in order that Everyone can basically look the same. Here's the description. It's a young face, of course, with poreless skin, plump high cheekbones, cat-like eyes, long cartoonish lashes, small, neat nose, full lush lips, and it looks at you coyly but blankly. As we read on in that first paragraph, it is distinctively white but ambiguously ethnic, suggesting a National Geographic composite illustrating what Americans will look like in 2050. And then this quote from a high-end New York colorist, it's like a sexy baby tiger. Uh, it's, it's Instagram face. It's like an unrealistic sculpture, volume on volume, a face that looks like it's made out of clay. 
Yeah, it's remarkable, Carmen. I mean, what you're describing here is a series of, of apps that you can get on some of these social media platforms that are becoming increasingly popular. And it was my son and my wife that were reading this article and sent in my direction as well in terms of what I guess I didn't realize was becoming a really common trend. And that was, as you have rightly described, the ability for people in their social media profiles and as they present themselves on places like Instagram and Snapchat, where uh, we would have grown up, you and I, just taking a photo and then showing the photo to people, maybe in a photo album, and, and we were as is. Uh, now there's a series of software platforms that you can really sculpt and change just about any dimension of your physical features on your face so that you can present yourself in ways that you would say would be more attractive or ways in which the human race needs to go. But clearly it is an illusory image of yourself. It isn't who you actually are. And it, and it made me, it sort of reminded me, I don't remember how many years ago it was, sort of how scandalous we all felt when some of the really popular models of our country, the, the Brooke Shields and the Christy Brinkleys of the world, when we found out that the professional photographers had been airbrushing out all kinds of physical blemish, blemishes or perhaps substituting one head on one body and changing everything so that what was presented was actually artificial. And we used to be scandalized by that idea, and, and we saw what the pursuit of beauty, at least socially constructed beauty, was doing to young people. It was really uh, the model industry was filled with eating disorders and uh, suicide rates and anxiety and depression. But that used to be more contained in that industry. And, and now uh, through all of these social media platforms, a 13-year-old can functionally become a Hollywood photographer in the sense that they can airbrush themselves and change any numbers of their physical features. And so we live in this world that isn't actually as it is. And uh, and even if you're approved of through your social media new face and, and platform, it's not actually you that's being approved of. It's some sort of image you've constructed of yourself. So these are these were new applications. Frankly, I hadn't heard as much about them, but they are really growing in popularity. And I think it's a very troublesome trend. So the commercialization of beauty is probably not surprising to me in this article. Um, this goes way beyond facials and brow waxing. Uh, we're talking about not only injectables uh, into right. you know the lines in somebody's brow and they're you know they're they're making their lips bigger. We're also talking about plastic surgery. Um, actually having your uh, cheekbones resculpted, your chin and your nose uh, changed. Uh, I mean even the outline of your eyes. Uh, change to make them look more cat-like by apparently, apparently, um, like sanding down your um, eye sockets. I'm just telling you, like crazy stuff. Yeah. Okay, later in the article we, we read this. We're talking about an overly tan skin tone, a South Asian influence with the brows and the eyes, an African-American influence with the lips, a Caucasian influence with the nose, a cheek structure that's predominantly Native American and Middle Eastern um, and then uh, and then this comment that people are absolutely getting prettier through this process. This is a uh, Instagram face consultant. The world is so visual right now. It's only getting more visual. People want to upgrade the way they relate to it. Let's talk about how we relate to the world. And let's talk about then. Um, I, I find it astounding that people are trying to eliminate the attributes that make them dis distinct and at the same time. Um, appropriating these features from lots of other cultural heritages. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what that speaks to, Carmen. I mean, this is sort of new for me to some extent in terms of I don't know what would be sort of the existential angst that somebody would be experiencing inside that would cause them to say, hey, 
this seems like a really appropriate pathway towards wholeness. Like, like what is missing in somebody that would then say that this would be the right avenue that would sort of satisfy the soul to become, to, to do away with what makes you distinctive, to do away with uh, what maybe your heritage is, to do away with any number of things, to become somebody entirely different who actually is in some way anonymous and androgynous and, and sort of all the same looking. So uh, clearly it does speak to significant social, emotional, and relational turmoil that uh, I think you know we've always had. Of course, it's sort of part of the human condition in a fallen and broken world. But I think this gives us an ability to execute certain pathways forward that are so terribly troubling and, and, and to become somebody entirely different. I think the hard part with that is that one sense of identity comes from you sort of your background, your history and your sense of origin. And of course, as believers, we find our origin as image bearing men and women, sons of daughters of Jesus. And, and in those places, we can actually find who we are in a settled identity. And in this way, we're sort of changing all sorts of different identities and we don't really know who we are. And increasingly you lose sight really of any anchor point in your life. And, and I certainly don't see this as a, as a trend that's going to bring wholeness. So the verses of scripture that I would encourage people to consider in the, in the context of this conversation, particularly as you are having this conversation with people who are engaged in this process, who are seeking to have Instagram face either through the use of apps like Facetune or um, you know, people who are asking, hey, can I go get these things done? I want to look more like this other person um, or this uh, – it, it's not even necessarily another person. This, this idea, this current ideal of beauty. Um, I would encourage you to lift up um, passages of Scripture that talk about being conformed to the image of Christ, that, that talk about being transformed by one degree of glory to another more and more into the likeness of Christ. Christ is the one – um, whose character God intends that we would be conformed to. And so the identity conversation is the one to have here, and also the conversation about transcendent beauty. And so yeah. you know, we certainly know that goodness, beauty, and truth are these, trans- these transcendent virtues. And I think that when we're talking, particularly with young people today, but increasingly with older people as well, um, this misunderstanding of what beauty is, where it comes from, from whom it derives, who gets to judge it, uh, all of those are essential conversations uh, related to this. Hey, Peter, you and I have to take a quick break. Um, and I want to pivot from what is mostly a conversation about women to a conversation here about American boys. Uh, you also sent me a piece from The Atlantic about the miseducation of American boys. We want to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This uh, conversation about Instagram face makes me um, makes me think about two related stories. One, the Queen of England is looking for a new social media digital engagement <laughs> uh, person. So if you if you think you could use Facetune on Queen Elizabeth in effective ways, um, there's a job for you out there today. Um, and then also some songs that we might lift up to encourage people. You know, just the whole question of do you see what I see. Um, people did not see in Jesus uh, the manifestation of ultimate beauty, and yet that is who he is. I mean, the world considered yeah. him not, and yet he is absolutely the, man, the, the, the total manifestation of what it means to be good and beautiful and true. 
Um, and so let's just uh, I just wanted to lift up those those notes before we make a transition here to the miseducation of American boys. Um, Peter Kapsner, how is it that American boys have been miseducated? <laughs> well, gosh, in any variety of ways. Right. I, I think it's uh, it, it is a classic example of. Um, having social characteristics define what is masculinity and what is femininity. And I think what I can say, Carmen, and even just sort of connecting it to the last article, is uh, I think that over 25 years, and, and this I'm somebody who's worked in the church for the better part of 25 years. I love the church. I love the institution of the church. But one of the things that I'm troubled by is I don't know that the church has engaged in sort of the required, sophisticated, and complex equipping and teaching in these areas that are absolutely central to growing up, that are uh, absolutely central to living in ways that are peaceful and whole and filled with shalom, and and living in ways that, as you referenced in the previous segment, that were truly being conformed and transformed in the image uh, image of Jesus. And when I say that, I, I would say one of the criticisms that I have right now of what comes and qualifies as teaching from the church is that if I hear yet another sermon that is maybe 40 minutes long, features a number of YouTube videos uh, to be quote-unquote relevant, and talks about how, well, David overcame his giant, you can overcome the giants in your life as well. I mean, that's sort of where we are in the teaching and the equipping, and it is, I mean, that that story in and of itself is already a profound misunderstanding of the David and Goliath story, not to mention it doesn't really help anybody in any meaningful way of life to try to think about what, how am I going to parent in a face-tune environment, and how am I going to raise boys? What is authentic masculinity versus sort of the versions that maybe I grew up with in the junior high locker rooms that were so terribly inappropriate in terms of over-exaggerated machoism, um, treatment of women and how you saw women, what it meant to be a successful male, which was uh, often filled with lots of money and power and success and conquest and all of these things. Uh, and and we, you and I can sit here on a radio show and bemoan that those are not actually the kind of characteristics that men should be called towards. But I think what's even more troubling than that is the absence of really solid teaching of what is authentic kingdom masculinity? What is image-bearing masculinity and femininity for that matter? What is the target towards which we're called? How do we walk that out with one another towards those targets so we can shine God's beauty, male and female beauty in this world? And and I think we're at least uh, a decade or two behind in these kind of conversations to help sort of raise our young men towards a godly masculinity. So when we talk about the answer to the question, um, you know, what are the models? To whom would we point? Would I, I might point to Daniel um, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the Old Testament. I mean, we're certainly going to point to Jesus. Um, are, there, are there people to whom that you point when you're talking with your boys? You're like, hey, you know, Bob at church, like we ought to be thinking about being like Bob. Yeah, I mean, frankly, Carmen, as I really have thought about that, in this class that I'm teaching on sexuality over these last 10 years, I get pushed into a lot of topics that I otherwise would not have maybe done the requisite research on. And those are things like same gender relationships and gender blurring and how do you actually have freedom from pornography, not just behavior management, all of these topics. And I hesitate to say that is the version of male towards which we call because I don't know if I'm pointing towards a socially constructed version of it or if I'm pointing to a biblical kingdom version of it myself because I haven't done the work around it. And all of that is to say is that next on my list of topics to really dive into, and it probably will take a couple of years or so, is to try to to sort of tease out what is kingdom masculinity and femininity because there's all kinds of biblical images 
that God represents God's self in fully masculine and feminine forms that I think could be really helpful and cut through some of this uh, sort of stuff. But, you know, strength, compassion, honesty, character, some of these things, I don't know if they're entirely human characteristics or more male-dominated characteristics, but it, it's certainly time to dive in and figure out what those targets are all about. All right. Um, I'm making a list, and I'm going to look forward to uh, that continuing conversation as you study it, and then maybe you just unpack it with us on air. I would just be, I'd be grateful for that. That's um that's the kind of conversation we need to be having. We all need help. Well, with this. what's fun? Yeah, I was just going to say quickly, Carmen, what's fun about it that I'm discovering on the front end is that the Hebrew language of the Old Testament is all either masculine or feminine based language. And I've been studying a bit with the Hebrew scholar on some of these things that he does a lot more work on it than I do. And so even again, teasing out those images of what is masculine and feminine within the Hebrew language has already been a really helpful starting point. All right, we got to leave it right there. Um, I look forward to these conversations each and every week. Thanks so much, uh, my brother. Um, I think I'm supposed to wish you a Merry Christmas because I think that by this time next week, we got something else going on on air. I think that's my understanding is as today, well. So I'm in is today right be, now. Is, I, is this week, oh, is it going to be Christmas or is it going to be Christmas Eve? It's going to be Christmas. It, it's going to be Christmas Day this time next oh week. Yep. So I will say it's happy so Christmas, ready. as they say here in Scotland. So. All right, happy Christmas, brother. Happy Christmas. We'll be right back. Yeah, thanks so much, Carmen. All right, so we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen ahead. Um, but thank you for joining me in this hour. It is impeachment day. That is probably one headline today that no one will be able to avoid. I am simply going to say uh, this. Let us be prayerful. Let us uh, pray that those engaged would be wise um, beyond their, uh, even just beyond who they are as human beings, that God would influence this process and certainly the conversations that we're having as a culture about it. Um, All right, we will be right back with another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Bill English will be here when you come back. And um, I know Paul's telling me I still have 10 seconds and I feel obligated to fill them. So I'm just going to say um, happy one week left. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.